going to sing God's Word together, and we're going to turn now and read Psalm 9 together. So if you have your Bible with you, please turn it up. Psalm 9. There's a bit of debate in the scholarship over whether Psalm 9 and Psalm 10 should be treated as one psalm, but I think there's plenty in each one that we can treat them separately, and so today we're just dealing with Psalm number 9. Psalm 9 is to the chief musician, to the tune of death of the Son. It's a psalm of David. As we read, we remember this is God's word, and we can trust it. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. For you have maintained my right and my cause. You sat on the throne judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. O enemy, destructions are finished forever. You have destroyed cities. Even their memory has perished. But the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness, and he shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. When he avenges blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may tell of all your praise in the gates of your daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they made, in the net which they hid, their own foot is caught. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Meditation. Selah. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and the nations that forget God for the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah. Amen. We thank God that he blesses us when we read his truth. Folks, you will have to excuse my voice again this week. I'm still suffering with hay fever. It's a minor uh, suffering, I know, but it's very frustrating. 
Now, I've never really been into westerns, never really been into western movies, but I know that most of the classic westerns, John Wayne movies, they usually follow the same kind of plot line. It's the same plot line in many movies, Disney movies, James Bond movies, they all have the same kind of idea. It all happens once upon a time. Somewhere at some time, once upon a time. And there's good guys, and there's bad guys. And by the end of the movie, the good guys have won, the bad guys have lost, the hero gets the girl, and they all live happily ever after. Isn't that how the movies work? That's the storyline of most movies. The good guys always win in the movies, and the bad guys always lose. But the problem is, that's not realistic, is it? Movies are an escape from the real world because in the real world, the good guys don't always win. Lots of times the good guys lose. And the bad guys, well they don't always lose. In fact, much of the time, it's the bad guys who are the ones that seem to be doing well. The world that Hollywood has sold us is a lie. We knew it was fake because we were watching it on the screen, but somewhere deep down, didn't we long for it to be true? But we know it's not true. We wanted it to be true, but we knew it wasn't true because it doesn't reflect the world we live in. We can see it in the world around us. Those who try to live moral and good, upright lives, those are the ones who seem to be struggling, aren't they? The people who they seem to struggle to get by to make ends meet. It's hard to live a life when you're doing all the things that you should do. And yet there are plenty of people out there who seem to prosper. People who seem to prosper by doing things that we know are just plain wrong. People who cheat on their tax returns. People who fiddle the books. People who are dealing drugs and making a fortune. People who are in government making one rule for everybody else and then not sticking to it themselves. People who use terrorism to achieve their ends. And it seems that none of them have to face justice. They act immorally. And they get away with it. It can seem like there's no justice in this world. Why is it that people who have committed terrible atrocities, even in our own country, we know this? Why is it they can get away with it? I'm not just talking about the state of things on this island. This happens across the world. Dictators rise up by walking over the people, by brutally murdering people, by placing them in death camps. The treatment of Christians around the world is horrendous. There doesn't seem to be any justice whatsoever. Why do other nations not step in? What about the, the likes of the, the, the Uyghur Muslims in China? Why is nobody stepping in? Why, why is it that wickedness and oppression is allowed to continue? Another example is the culture of death we have in our own language. Manifests itself in abortion. Defenseless babies, cruelly murdered for the sake of convenience very often. 
sometimes for the sake of a promiscuous life, uh, sex life. Friends, we might think this is a worldly problem, but let me tell you, there is plenty of worldliness in the church. Abuse scandals that have been covered up in the church are horrific. What about the mother and baby hopes? Will there ever be justice? And this isn't a Roman Catholic problem. There are sex abuse scandals breaking all the time in the evangelical church at the moment. Churches and ministries which I would have described as sound, well, they're filled with sin. They're filled with wickedness. Physical, emotional, and sexual abuse are all present, but still the perpetrators are covered up and are protected. Often these things only break after the person in question has died. So yes, Hollywood lied to us. The good guys don't always win. The bad guys certainly don't always lose. So I ask again, is there any justice in this world? And listen, I am far from too naive to think that this is a concept that only exists in newspapers and internet headlines. I know that it's close to home. For some, if not for many of us, some who have seen loved ones taken from us through the troubles by a terrorist campaign in our own land. I know that some people face the torture of knowing that wicked acts have been committed against your very own family and you wonder, will you die it? You wonder if justice will ever come. So I ask again, is there any justice in this world? I think that's the question that Psalm 9 is answering. Is there any justice in this world? Please do have your Bible open to Psalm 9 and read along with me. We'll start at verse 1 and 2. The psalm starts as we might expect. It asks us to look to God. I want you to notice something important about these verses, verses 1 and 2. I want you to see the opening four words. I will praise you. I will praise you. This is a psalm of David. And there are so many things that David could praise God for. He could be thankful for all the times God has rescued him from the hands of his enemies. Some commentators believe that this psalm was written just after the defeat of Goliath. So David could praise God that he had killed Goliath. But that's not where David goes first. He mentions God's marvelous works in the second half of verse 1. But in verse 2 he resumes praising God. I will be glad and rejoice in you. It's a bit like this. I can tell my wife that I love her. Or I can tell her I'm very glad that she does the ironing. Which one do you think she would prefer? That's not to say that I'm not thankful for the ironing. It's not to say I'm not thankful for the things she does. I'm, I suppose in some ways the fact that she irons my shirts, for example, shows her love for me. But isn't it a bit self-centered only to focus on what Kate can do for me? 
rather than saying I love her for who she is. David comes first in praise of God for who God is. He rejoices not only in what God has done, and what God has done is significant. We will come to that. But David proclaims gladness and joy in God himself, first and foremost. Those who come to the midweek gathering or read the prayer points will notice that I try to encourage this in the way that we structure our prayer time. And the reason I structure it this way is if it wasn't for having it set in front of me, I would forget to do this. The first section of our prayer time is given over to praising God, coming to Him first, declaring our love for Him. Before we ask for anything, before we pray that His kingdom would come or His will would be done, we hallow His name. It's not what we've learned in the Catechism. The hallowing of God's name comes first before his kingdom comes. And here's where I think this question that we've asked, is there any justice in the world? I think it's important. And the answer to that question, that we look first to God. Is there any justice in this world? Well, we have to look outside of the world to get an answer. If we were left to ourselves, human beings might give some justice. We would give justice to some people and not to others, and that in itself is an unjust thing to do. There would be rich people who can afford lawyers and they would be able to seek and find justice. And lowly, downtrodden and oppressed people across the world would never get justice. And so just like David does in this psalm, we need to look out of the world. We need to look up to God and know that he is the one who will bring ultimate and lasting justice to his creation. That brings us on to verses 3 to 8. Here we read David's proclamation that God will judge and there will be justice. If you have itchy highlighter fingers and you're the type of person who marks your Bible, verses 7 and 8 are key to understanding this whole psalm. The Lord sits on his throne for judgment, and he shall administer his judgment in his time. David says, don't worry. Don't worry if you don't see judgment in your lifetime. Don't worry if those who have perpetrated evil don't face justice in their lifetime. Look at verse 7. God endures forever. And so what people have done will catch up with them. David is so sure of this, he talks about it as if it's already happened. This is one of those times when knowing Hebrew would be useful. The verbs in verse 5, for example, they're not normal past tense verbs. So although in English it reads as if these things have already happened, the rebuking of the nations, the destroying of the wicked, the blotting out of their name, although it reads as if it's already happened in English, the tense in Hebrew is slightly more complicated. It's referred to as prophetic perfect by the scholars. It's a tense which describes something that will happen in the future, but it is so sure to happen 
that you can speak about it as if it already has. All that's to say that David's confidence, his sure hope, is that God will act in judgment. The wicked nations will be thoroughly destroyed forever and ever. I want us to go back to verses 9 to 14 in a moment, but for now, turn your attention to verse 15 and following. In verse 15, we see the way in which God judges the wicked. Basically, he allows them to fall into their own trap. They sink down into the pit which they have dug. Their foot gets caught in their own net. It shows us that Hollywood didn't lie about everything. According to the psalm, judgment will come to the wicked eventually. It's spoken about as if it's happened already, but actually, it's future punishment. This punishment for the wicked is a Hollywood kind of punishment. It's Wiley Coyote kind of judgment. Does anybody remember Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner? Remember that cartoon? And Wiley Coyote was always setting up traps for Roadrunner. He would hang an anvil from a tree, and Roadrunner would go right past it, and Wiley Coyote would wonder what's wrong with it before it fell on his own face. The boulder that he set up to catch Roadrunner would fall on him. He would paint a tunnel on a piece of rock, hoping that Roadrunner would run into the rock, but Roadrunner would go right through the tunnel, and just as Wiley Coyote looked in to see what was going on, a train would come out and hit him. He got caught by his own trap. That's what God says will happen to the wicked. If people are wicked in this life, then they will face wickedness in the life to come. Friends, I think that might be part of the answer to our question. Is there any justice in this world? Well, yes. But we might have to wait a long time for it. Justice comes at the end of this world. When the world is made new by Christ, when, when all wickedness and evil will be burned away, and in its burning away, people will be made to account for their misdeeds. Men and women will have to stand before God and face his judgment. For the wickedness that they have perpetrated in this world, it will come back upon them with an eternal weight. They will find themselves caught in their own trap. You see what verse 17 said? The wicked shall be turned into hell. Those who have lived under the oppression of evil, those who have been victims of injustice and cruelty in this life, they won't be forgotten. Their expectation for justice will not perish forever. Friends, I can't say. I can't say if you will see justice in this life. I can't say that. But I can't say that the day of judgment is coming. There's a quote attributed to Martin Luther King, who wasn't perfect, but he was a great activist for civil rights in America. The quote is this. He said, the arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice. That's the lesson of our psalm today. I can't say what you've had to face in your life. I don't know. I don't know what you've had to go through personally. 
Perhaps you just look at the world and you see evil and you think, you know, it looks like evil is winning. It looks like evil is prospering. It seems like the good guys are losing and the bad guys are winning, but ultimately, when we come to the end of time, we will know for sure that there is justice in this world and it lies in the hands of God and his hands alone. Before we return to those middle verses, I want you to see why we have to return to them. It's very much connected with how we started the psalm. It's connected with what we've just said. Justice belongs to God. Justice belongs to God alone. And if you want justice, you need to look to God. Look at the very end of the psalm. Verses 19 and 20. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put fear in them, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. And here's the thing. We cannot judge. Only God can judge. We are but men too. We can't sit in judgment. We are mere men and when the question of justice arises, we have to realise that we too are guilty sinners. We're not as guilty as some. We're definitely not as guilty as some others. And we've learned from the Catechism that some sins are more heinous than others. There are sins which are more wicked, more evil than others. There are people in this world who have done things that no one in this room is guilty of. We don't need to compare sins because it's all a matter of degrees. All sin deserves the wrath of God. All sin, no matter if we think it's a big sin or a small sin, it deserves to be punished by God. Didn't Jesus teach us looking with lust is the same as committing adultery? Having anger against someone is like murdering them in our hearts. So who among us? among us can say we haven't sinned. We can say that we are not guilty or deserving of God's punishment. And that's where those middle verses come in. Look back to verse 10. Those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. We don't mean out justice God does. Verses 13 and 14. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may tell of your praise. In the gates of the daughter of Zion, I will rejoice in your salvation. Do you see that? In the same psalm that's crying out for the destruction of the wicked, David cries for God's mercy on himself. He needs God's mercy because David knows he is a sinner. He too is deserving of God's destruction. But instead he puts his trust in God and he prays for mercy. And having prayed for mercy, he is confident that God will bring salvation. And for that, 
he rejoices. Friends, we can look to the end of time for justice, and it might be that we have to wait a long, long time to see God's judgment upon some people. But there's another place we can look for justice, and that's to the cross of Jesus. On the cross, we see the judgment and wrath of God being poured out on his Son. Jesus Christ, the only person ever who doesn't deserve God's judgment, the only person who was perfect and sinless ever, the only person who ever acted with no wickedness and no evil in his heart. In Hollywood terms, Jesus is the good guy. He's the only good guy. We are the bad guys. But still, as we look to the cross, we see God's punishment poured out onto his Son. The magnitude and scale of Christ's suffering from the cross is beyond our understanding, and yet there it is. Why? Why would the innocent one suffer? Well, I think you know the answer. So that the guilty might go free. So that you and I might be forgiven our sin. So that the justice of God might still be served. God is still just in forgiving sinners. His justice was poured out on Jesus. There's refuge in Christ from God's judgment for anybody who trusts in him. You see, you and I, we deserve all the punishment of the worst sinner we can be. In God's sight, we are not any less deserving of judgment and justice. The justice that you want to see for others, well, you need to realise that it's coming for you too. If you want justice, it's coming for you too. But Christ absorbed that punishment. On the cross, Jesus took it upon himself so that you and I can know the mercy and forgiveness of God. He's not forsaken those who seek him. So we praise God today. We praise God for who he is and for what he has done through Jesus. He's made a way of salvation. A way of salvation for guilty sinners like me and like you. Is there any justice in this world? Yes, there is. But ultimately, we only find it by looking to God and by looking to his Christ. Let's pray together.